Welcome to Healthcare Unfiltered. I am your host, Shadi Nabhan. I'm a hematologist and a medical oncologist with interest in everything pertaining to healthcare and outside of healthcare. Within healthcare, I really like to focus on you know, topics pertaining to policy, clinical advances in oncology, certain elements that affect healthcare, mentorship, leadership, and, and other elements. But today's podcast is a little bit of a migration from a complete focus on healthcare to a little bit of um, a pivot on uh, the impact of the death of Queen Elizabeth on British citizens. And, and I'll say that I was a little bit, um, you know, uh, surprised by the emotional impact on this. I mean, Queen Elizabeth obviously is an amazing figure, has done amazing things, but certainly um, I did not realize that she has so much impact on individual citizens by which really this the outpouring uh, uh, mourning to her passing uh, could overwhelm anyone. So I really wanted to take a podcast on this. I really wanted to better understand why this is and how this really evolved, how it happened. And no one will be better than an actual British citizen to really give us a little bit of an insight into that. I have the pleasure of working with Dr. James Winterman, who is originally from England. And I thought, you know, what would be so cool to actually bring him on in the show and really understand from him how this actually happened, the impact on him as a, as a, as as an individual, as a citizen. Uh, I really did not want to bring somebody who's like a royal family expert. This is really not the topic. The topic is how is really the impact on someone who is just a regular citizen, and how does he really view the events that happened over the past several months? So that's really the goal of this podcast, and I appreciate you tuning in. I hope you really like it uh, and enjoy it and really learn a few things, some of fun facts and few non-fun facts. Now, before I air the episode, I really would love for you to, ta- to, to, to rate this podcast, subscribe to it, and write a brief review. If you do so, it's going to lead to other people finding this podcast easier. You also can visit my website on www.shadinabhan.com and find all of these podcast episodes. You can also watch them on my uh, YouTube channel, Shadi Nabhan and Healthcare Unfiltered. Uh, I think that um, w- would love for you to let me know any feedback by tweeting me, uh, tweeting direct messaging on Twitter at Shadi Nabhan or on Instagram, Shadi underscore Healthcare Unfiltered. Dr. James Winterman on Healthcare Unfiltered podcast, talking Queen Elizabeth legacy on him as a British citizen. James, first of all, welcome to Healthcare Unfiltered. It is your first time on this podcast. We certainly hope it won't be your last which means that you have a window of opportunity to play your cards right. (laughs) Thank you very much. But let's start by a little bit of an introduction about you, where you're from, where you grew up, and how you ended up in the U.S. Uh, So tell us a little bit about you. 
Yeah, I mean, it depends how far back you want to go. But, uh, yeah, lived in many countries. Uh, so spent five years of my life at the very beginning in Singapore, which was quite interesting in the 70s. And then from there, uh, really moved back to the UK and England, Scotland, which is definitely a different country. And we can go into that if you ever want to. Uh, and then from there, really, England studying and then I went down the chemistry route. So uh, PhD in biotransformations, enzyme chemistry, and took that quite early on, realised that I enjoy the commercialisation of the medicines. I, I enjoy medicines and science. My my strapline in my head is science that helps. I think it's very uh, easy to get caught up in the, the cleverness of science, but it doesn't mean anything sometimes. But the flip side is it's got to be thoughtful enough that it actually is useful to humanity and that's where I sort of play so from that point of view I left uh research and went into commercialization with Pfizer and Astellas at different roles all the way through and ended up in Astellas as SVP of marketing and market access for Europe Middle East and Africa so yeah that's a bit about my background why did I join Caris I don't know whether it was a midlife crisis or COVID I don't know but from my perspective, I really thought about what's my true north. And, and it was coming back to that idea of science that helps. And when you think about that in its purest form, the best way to help a lot of people in life will be through precision medicine, in my belief, for the next decade, making sure people get the right medicines. So that's been that's, my journey. That, that's great. But you traveled a lot. So you've been to the Middle East, Europe and everything. What, how did you end up? Why did you end up in the US? It's one market I've never worked in. I, I've obviously visited it. And sometimes some of my roles have been global. So I've uh, been working with a lot of Americans. And I just felt I got to a point in my career where I wanted to work in a different country. And I think given the state of healthcare globally, I think the US market's the most interesting. And then if you filter that with precision medicine, there is no doubt the US is, is I would say, five to 10 years ahead of the rest of the world at the moment in terms of how it's operating. So I wanted to live in the future a bit. I like it. So you're originally from Scotland? No, so England. But as an Englishman in Scotland, it becomes really quite an interesting dynamic. So help us understand these dynamics a little bit. You know, um, tell us about the United Kingdom, then England, and just maybe one oh one for folks who are not familiar with this. And I'll add, I'll tell you this because I had an opportunity to visit London and also visit Dublin, and um, they're not big fans of each other. Um, I, I've noticed that, and I also. <laughs> Remember watching some of the games. There are, I think, there's a soccer tournament where Ireland, Scotland, England, and Wales they play each other, and I don't know what they call the tournament, but I mean, these could go pretty. They're pretty. People are very passionate about them. Give us some history. Yeah, so I think if you go back, you know, I would say fourteen, fifteen hundred, there was always fights between the English, the Scottish, the Welsh and the Irish. The Irish less so, to be honest. So 
because that was over the sea. But there was always these, you know, ongoing battles as, as the country grew. And then at a certain point, I, I don't know the exact history, but I would say around the 1780s, something like that. I think uh, when the Wealth of Nations was signed, they the other countries, so particularly I, uh, Scotland and Wales, came together to form what we you would call the United Kingdom. So that's where we're working together as a group. And that's why you see, you know, uh, Great Britain, you've got Great Britain and Ireland, and then you've got the United Kingdom. So Great Britain and Ireland is, is in effect, the, I would say, Scotland, Wales, England coming together. And the idea behind it was, they can't keep existing on their own. But you'll, you'll certainly see it in the politics now, where I don't know if you've heard of the Scottish National Party, they're still pushing for an independent Scotland. So every, you know, there was a vote about three years ago, I can't remember the exact dates, but about three years ago, they they took an independent vote and, and agreed to stay as part of the United Kingdom. A bit like the UK did with Brexit, you know, within a year of that. So these dynamics go on, but what that leads to, and you're talking about it and alluding to it there, is when you get to sport, particularly those local desires if you like come to the forefront you know you're beating your neighbors and and i think you see that globally everywhere whether that's a a local football team from one side of london versus another whether you see it you know barcelona uh versus their local rivals certainly you see it with milan uh madrid i would say you've got real madrid and uh Atletico Madrid. So these local rivalries are always going to be there. And I think they manifest probably the most through sport, quite frankly. And you're a Tottenham Hotspurs uh, fan. They're doing yeah. pretty uh, pretty good this year. We'll see what happens. Um, so 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 just to understand, so so the United Kingdom, you've got it it encompasses Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and England. So the United Kingdom is I, my understanding, and I'm not an exact historian, but you've got Scotland, Northern Ireland, Wales and England. Southern Ireland is its own country. They're still part of Brexit. Got it. Got Just it. northern part of it. And that's why a lot of the Brexit conversations were particularly pointed around Northern Ireland, because it could lead to where people are shipping from, say, Liverpool at the north end of England all the way over into northern ireland part of the uk but then what's the process between northern ireland and southern ireland you're in effect got a way into europe without having any uh, regulation so that's why that's been a very sticky point now um the healthcare system to your knowledge is it the same across all of these parts of the uk or uh, it's Scotland is different. Uh, Ireland is different. Uh, I mean, I mean, like Wales is different. It's 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 always on two levels. It's always on two levels. So what does that mean? Part of it gets devolved. They call it devolved from you know uh, to that to that country. So there'll be an NHS Scotland. However, the the majority of the framework is exactly the same. So the majority of the framework is the same, but then there'll be a budget that's slightly devolved or some expectations that are tailored to that locality where they can start to work it through whatever needs to happen. So uh, you certainly saw that with COVID where 
Scotland would choose maybe slightly different way of interpreting the regulations, but then the majority of the time it was the same, you know, two metres apart, don't go out. But then they might say, right, we're going to keep everybody in for the next three weeks further than the the English because we're spiking at the moment. So it certainly devolved some decision-making to make it what's right for that locality. And then, and then it's... It's in terms of you mentioned something about the Scottish wanted to be independent. So, mm -hmm. uh, as a citizen, tell me about the governance. I mean, the, the prime minister oversees everybody in the UK, right? Correct. Yes. And the Scottish wanted to have, like, get out that they don't want. To, they want to have their own, let's say, prime minister kind of. Yeah, and they have their own leader at the moment. They have their own uh, leader in Nicola Sturgeon. So they, it's this constant thing of. What do we share and what don't we share? When, when when do we have the decision rights and when do you have the decision rights? And I think that's been going on, honestly, since the 1600s. I mean, you've got to remember back in, I can't even remember, maybe over a thousand years ago, at 900 AD, they built Hadrian's, no, but even earlier than that, must be because it was Romans. The Romans built Hadrian's Wall. I don't know if you remember that. Mm -hmm. that was the Romans, when they came across the Celts, they thought we can't cope with this. So they built a wall to keep them out. Now, you know, yeah. So I think everything's like that the whole time of they want their own identity and what they relate to. So it's it's a balance between it. But, you know, when you when you go to those referendums, in, the Scottish this time definitely said, we want to stay. And I think that's what you'll find most of the time. People would rather be together than separate. I think, yeah. Uh, is a Scottish, let's say a Scottish man wants to marry an English woman. Of course. No, but I mean, like, like if you're, if some of these folks who are really, really national Scottish, would that be frowned upon? Like, is there, is it that bad in certain uh, sectors or not really? I, I, I don't think that's a, I think that's a global thing. I don't think... <laughs> Genuinely, and I think you'll know this, there'll be certain people that are have a view that that person should never be with that person, whatever their background. And, yeah. You know, you, you could say it comes from where they were born, Scotland, England. You could say it comes from, you know, Australia, New Zealand. I don't know. I think yeah. Yeah. what I say to that, I think, I think my personal view at the moment is the world needs to think about how it comes together. Yeah, I agree. We, we have a lot more in common than we do different. And we should be celebrating that. Agreed. So, so um, you 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 visit uh, usually. You go back and forth, uh, and a few times a year. I mean, are you able to do that? Hopefully, do you have family there. Yeah, yeah. My wife and three children back in the UK. Uh, I'm going back. Funnily enough, next week I'm taking a few days off to go back and see them. So, uh, okay. I'm really looking forward to that. Great. So, what's your? I mean, healthcare wise. Um, you know, you have a lot of family there, friends there, and you obviously have a lot of friends here as well. What is your sense uh, if you try to assess the healthcare from a citizen, from a consumer standpoint, from a patient level perspective? Do you see folks in the UK satisfied and they look at us as crazy? Do you see us? Do you see folks here are more satisfied and they look at the UK as really not being innovative enough? Just like a neutral assessment, because you bring really interesting perspective, kind of living in both countries. Yeah, I mean, I think, what do I see? 
having arrived into the US is this is a very, very individualized system here. And what do I mean by that? Is you all pay your own individual insurance to make sure you've got good care and you're sort of relatively free to choose who you see and move as you need to throughout the system. But but the onus is on the individual patient to care for themselves and they pay quite a lot on insurance, right? There is no doubt about that. And what that leads to, in my opinion, is you certainly have the direct-to-patient advertising that you wouldn't see in Europe. That leads to a cost. That leads to a cost of medicines that is, dis- in my opinion, disproportionately high in the US, but then you also have the freedom to get the very best and latest medicines because you're all paying for it as an individual uh, patient in your own right. Then if you go to somewhere like the UK or, or certainly parts of Europe, it's much more of a nationalised system. So the base level that everybody gets, irrespective of your background, irrespective of what you contribute, I would say is probably slightly higher, right? The base level, because your range could be if you're, for example, you might move to the UK from another country and you've got something where you've got a broken leg. For the sake of argument, you're on there for a holiday. You could go to an A&E accident emergency department and the NHS would pay for it. Interesting. Right. You, you wouldn't be paying for it yourself. Right. That would just be part of it. It would be covered and we'd see it that way. So the base level in a certain way is covered. But then when it comes to the new innovative medicines, there's much more of a cost containment than you would ever see in the US. Yeah. So you wouldn't always get the new medicines. Or if you do, the newer medicines are coming, they would be slower to get to the market. They would certainly be definitely much cheaper. The government would take a role of negotiating that much, much harder and saying, if you want access to this whole market, because in effect, the NHS is the market, this is the price and they'd negotiate, but it would always be a lot lower than the US. So those are the sort of different dynamics, but there's much more of a society caring for each other and everybody comes together in, in, in some of those markets, but then you don't get the innovation and the, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, so you, you've got uh, policy issues, um, drug-related issues, you know, in terms of uh, medicine and healthcare. You've got mm-hmm. political issues, you know, with uh, Scottish, Welsh, uh, English, and all of that. Where does the royal family fit into uh-huh. all of these things? Like, what, what do they actually do? And you, as a citizen, how do you view their role or involvement? I it's a, it's, It was certainly very, very interesting, because I know when we first spoke about this, it was at ESMO, and it was just in Paris. And it was just at the time the Queen had announced that, well, the Queen didn't announce that she died, but it had been announced that she had died. And I'm no royalist. I'm no royalist. I'm, that doesn't mean I'm not, I'm against them either. I, I'm, I'm quite, I'm proud that we have them. I think they're certainly, it's a job I certainly wouldn't want to do, and I'd call it a job, right? If you think about King Charles, he's waited 73 years and he's now just got the big job. I mean, he's got a lot of work to do, and most people at 73 want to retire, you know? But what, what is that? What is their job? Help people who oh, are. I, yeah, I yeah, think help. a lot of the time they would be going around and, 
they would have causes. So I didn't realize this until recently, but Prince Philip was a chief. He really, he really drove a lot of the creation of the World Wildlife Fund. So they take on a role of what some of humanity's needs. Now that can be local to the, the, the UK or it can be sometimes global as an example, the World Wildlife Fund. What they would do a lot of the time, the Queen, she would go around and she'd open, you know, leisure centres or big causes or meet people to knight them or as a head of state when dignitaries come from other countries so that, you know, they they see the UK as a uh, a strong, collaborative, open market that people want to work with. So you've deliberately separated policies and politics from running the function of the country uh, or uh, running the function of the country is too strong but being a state ambassador that that can go to new zealand and represent the uk and people think oh you know i want to understand how to work with them and then the politics are deliberately kept separate i find personally as a, as a child that grew up through that what did i find with the royal family it's funny things, really. One, people get very excited when something happens because they usually get a bank holiday, right? That's real. <laughs> right, that's real. So people were like, brilliant, the Queen's died. Some people will say, I've got a day off, right? So that's a truth. But the other thing is, and, and I saw this with the Silver Jubilee, the Golden Jubilee, the Platinum, the world is complicated enough at the moment what the Queen does, or that royal family, is it gives re people to come together. So the amount of street parties where you don't think about your background, it doesn't matter. It's about how do we get people together, and people will come together and they do cakes, sandwiches. They'd close all the roads, all the roads, and people would literally be sitting out their houses on the roads having parties and talking to each other all day. So it brings society and communities together irrespective of the politics. And I think as I've got older, I've realised that that's actually quite powerful is, you know, you've got reasons to celebrate and be proud as a country for what you are. And it, and it it reduces people's divisions and brings them together. And I, I, I yeah, that's what I've seen. And I'm, yeah, I, I find that quite, I was, I was in the UK for the Platinum Jubilee and I had a load of friends sending me videos of what they were doing. And you were going, oh, I'm missing out. I'm actually missing out on getting together with people I, I want to spend time with. So that's how I see it. So so, so the, the, the queen or the royal family, it, as I'm listening to you, and you talk about, you know, world peace or trying to be ambassadors. I mean, is that uh, analogous to the Pope? I, I mean, is that, is that what you're thinking? Uh, the Pope the, comes with the religion. The Pope comes with, no doubt, the Pope comes with a religious tone, right? Right. So think of the Queen as a head of state that it brings people together irrespective of religion, irrespective of politics. It's deliberately separating all of that out and just getting people together. People, So you don't even think about religion when you, you know, it's just the Queen's Jubilee and you'd come together. But but I'm still trying. So 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 we're trying. You know, for for U.S. citizens who yeah. uh, maybe have never been to the U.K. and they just don't know except what they see on TV. 
the 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 royal family for some people are viewed as you know this these rich celebrities yeah they have a lot of money and uh people some people are obsessed by their lifestyle and what they're doing and all of these things yeah what you're telling me though is there's way more substance into what they actually do and I, i'd like you just to elaborate on that a little bit more because i suspect some folks who are listening to this may not really quite understand the substance of some of the things that they do and maybe if you can if you can think of examples to illustrate yeah. some of these would be very helpful so uh, a good example a good example the queen would see or the king now would see the prime minister once a week for an update of affairs. Okay, what's that really about? That's actually like having a mentor with a long memory of all the different politics. I mean, I think I can't remember how many uh, prime ministers the Queen had seen <laughs> in her lifetime, but I know it started with Winston Churchill. So if you think about that knowledge, right, the institutional knowledge that she has about you know, and she'll have seen certain people come in, certain people leave, certain people, you know, whatever it looks like, she'll have a, she's just like this wise person that a new prime minister could just sit and just talk to. And there's no politics behind it. It's just here. I'm here to help you and support you and, 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 you know, maybe give you some sageful thoughts, right? That That's one thing they would do. I think, are they, you, you, you mentioned like they're rich, there's no doubt they're paid by the state and they're they're they have a wealth to them, but it's actually state wealth as opposed to individual, right? They're just born into that. So it gets passed on to the next person. We pay taxes. I'd love to see an analysis, and you never will, whether by having the royal family, you actually gain more tourists and people come to see them. And actually, it's a benefit, you know, it's a benefit to the UK or it's a cost. I don't know. I don't think you'll ever see it. And I think if you ever did, there'd be so many arguments about, well, that's not true. And they would have done that, whatever. So I think that becomes slightly irrelevant. But I think I know for a fact that the Queen would have to read things every single night and sign things off. And, you know, it's a hard job. I think it's a really hard job. But at the same time, let's not kid ourselves. It's not a bad life either, right? So, you know, what does that look like? Well, you don't have to worry about booking a taxi. You don't have to worry about going and getting your food in. You know, you won't be thinking any of those sort of thoughts. But your life is also not your own. You're living in the very, very public eye of the world every single day. So it's, and they're not, they don't get that choice. It's not like you suddenly go, oh, I'm going to apply for that job and I really fancy doing it. They're born into it and they don't have any choice. So they 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 see it as the Queen certainly did, as serving the state and giving all her time and energy to looking after the people as best she could, you know? So yeah. Yeah. it's not a job I would want to do. So, so, so if there's a, I mean, there's always conflicts and wars across the world yeah. and the globe frankly uh so she or they you know whoever is in charge they choose which ones they would like to get involved she in wouldn't and... get involved she would not get involved no like to to bring peace i mean like it's not really taking sides but really she really wouldn't either you deliberately anything that where there's 
she she quite most of the time you'd see her remove and leave that up to the prime minister of the UK at the time. That's the yeah. politics behind it. That would be deliberately. No, I'm not. I don't. You know, they might discuss it. They might discuss it in their weekly meetings. But I can tell you one thing: we will never know what gets discussed there. Yeah. What were you doing when this news? These news broke, and uh, you heard about this. And take me through. Um, you know how you felt. Um, I preface that by saying. Uh, when we had the conversation originally, when me and you discussed this a little bit, uh, I could tell you got a bit emotional. Yeah. Um, and I could also tell that uh, it, there was a true sense of loss that you um, that you that you endured. And and I'm not going to lie, I really was a little bit surprised by that. And it just told me that maybe there is more in-depth things that's really beyond just you. Maybe the British people really... Um, all feel the same and certainly as I looked on TV screens and I saw the number of people who just came in to pay respect I was just really blown away by this so take me through um, you know what were you doing when you heard the news if you can reflect how you felt uh, and why you felt this way and and we'll take it from there yeah I mean funnily enough I was at ESMO uh, we'd just run a round table uh and I was in the process of reflecting on that and writing it up and thinking about the implications. And somebody texted me and went, oh, I've heard the Queen's died. And I was like, no, no, I can't believe that. So I went on to the news myself and, you know, it was announced that the royal family were going there quickly to Balmoral and all of this sort of stuff. So I, I probably think, if you ask me to speculate, would be she probably had died by that stage, but the British press was controlling it until they wanted to manage it. I think initially I was a bit surprised because only two days before that she had welcomed in the latest prime minister. So you're sitting there going, and then, then it made me reflect of if she was at that death's door, how, how impressive is that to be able to get out of a deathbed, quite frankly, and welcome and do your duty, right, for the country to welcome the new prime minister, which which amazed me. Then I, for me, at my age, there's so many people in the in in the UK that have only ever had one royal monarch, the Queen, and it was suddenly like it made you think about all the things she she's done and been important to your childhood and all those different events that you've seen throughout life you know, like the Olympics, where she she had a role in that, that you, it just left a bit more of a vacuum than I thought. I, I honestly thought, you know, you could take one lens that goes, she had a good life, and she did. Uh, and that was it, she's, she's died. But then at the same time, you're going, that's all I've ever known. And it just felt a bit more, wow, I, I didn't realise the impact she'd had on my life until she wasn't there. And I think that's probably what you saw in me on those days is like, you know, I've met her once when I was a kid, about 12 years old. Uh, how did you no, how did you meet her? Uh, she came to open a pharmaceutical factory. So it was this big pharmaceutical factory and she came to open it. You know, and that's what I mean by their duty. They would be flying around doing that maybe two to three times a day around the whole of the UK. Can you imagine doing that every day. It's quite a bizarre thought. Uh, 
And you were, yes, you were, me. you were, you were, the, you were there in the pharmaceutical factory. What were you doing? You were twelve. You said my 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 father was involved in the uh, leading the creation of the factory. So we got invited, and yeah, and that was it. Meta. When you say that you felt uh, there was a vacuum in your life, can you help me understand what that means? I mean, obviously, it's not like you're interacting with the royal family um but like what 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 there was a sense of loss and i'm trying just to get to it because she's not a relative I, I, I suppose in, a, in, a, in a world of change right the world changes a lot doesn't it it's changing a lot there's a lot of different conflicts she she's been a constant for the british people since 1950 whatever it was it felt like that constant that's always been there in the back of your mind suddenly isn't there and that's the oh hang on a minute you know what happened i didn't you know and that's really the reflection that you you saw in people and and knowing what she'd done always to try and bring people together she'd never been divisive she'd always been trying to take a role of the royal family of bringing people together and i think that was the it's a sort of shock of suddenly she's not there, that person that's been the rock, unbeknownst to a lot of us, just there in your life, wasn't there anymore. When, when you saw the uh, funeral and the number of people that uh, went to see her and pay their respect, were you surprised this was probably expected, given her stature? Expected, to be honest. I was, I was, I think it's a statement about her and how long she'd done it and if you looked in the the funeral the amount of people that came from all over the world to pay their respects you know uh, yeah it's something to be proud of as a as a british citizen that she was thought of in that way yeah yeah so so then what happens i mean when the queen dies and died uh, obviously now it's king charles um mm. So do you have to change all of the currency? Yeah. The national anthem changes. Like what? What? I, I'm I'm very confused about that. What happens? Like you have to like to you have to go to the bank and say, "Give me exchange the money." Like what happens? Yeah. So the national anthem, and then we'll come to the money. The national anthem is exactly the same national anthem. You just change one word from queen to king. Hey, come on, right. hold on, hold on. The rhyme might change. You gotta like make it's rhymes differently. No, they won't do that. It will just change. It's a national anthem. One word change. Very simple. Uh but the currency they've already started to design and they're gonna bring out in from January, and they'll just slowly but surely filter that in. Uh that will be weird. That that that's a great example of weird, odd just make you think oh crikey you know your passports will, will suddenly say from the queen to the king you know all the uh currencies will change the stamps i know people might not even use stamps anymore but the stamps were always the queen's head now it will become you know king charles the third's head and they'll have to redesign it but so it's things like that you go oh crikey that's that's what i mean by the vacuum you're suddenly going i've just that's been the british coin all its life you know, or the British note, and suddenly it's not going to look like that. You're like, wow. So um, tell me a little bit about King Charles. Um, is he, I mean, you know, growing up in in Britain and, and being there and being from there, knowing a lot of people, 
is he liked like do people uh, like him um uh, uh you know obviously it looks like it's very tough shoes to fill uh, <laughs> um so he's already starting behind the eight ball i think because people will always compare him to his mother so yeah. how you know is there a sense whether he is a, a liked personality not a liked personality all that stuff yeah i think the first thing to say is he's 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 been brought up his whole life to become king charles the third like all his life, all his, all his education, everything has been bought for that moment. Uh, and the monarchy only changes when the when the existing monarch dies. We've had one case where it wasn't, uh, but that won't change. So that's what I mean by being the rock. Sometimes that that whole it, it will be King Charles the Third, and unfortunately to say it until he dies, right? And then it will be. Uh, yeah, obviously William at that point. So I think, is he liked? I think obviously people were very fond of Princess Diana, right, in the world, where everybody knows that. But I, I also think if you listen to the story behind it, he just wanted to be with the woman he loved, right? And love's powerful, isn't it? I mean, who's to say you, you should be denied living with the woman you love, really? I, I find that, you know, and, and they were divorced at the time. So I think Diana should be celebrated for what she brought to the world. And I think that's a real tragic accident. But at the same time, King Charles III, he's, he's going to be, we're, we're going to be fond of him. I don't think he'll have the same tenure as the Queen, but I think he's trying to, do, I mean, I don't know if you watch some of the stuff they had to go through in the week, two weeks after the, uh, for part of the funeral, he was visibly upset. He's lost his mum. You know, forget what their titles are. He's lost his mum. And we'd all feel upset about that. So, you know, from my point of view, he's now taken on a really tough job at 73. And if I know anything about how I will feel at 73, I know my bones are ache and I'll be tired. So I've got nothing but admiration for him trying to do that and bring people together again. I mean, the Queen was doing it up to her 90s. Correct. And he yeah. might have to do that for the next 20 years. Yeah, yeah. Really interesting perspective. I mean, it's really, really very interesting uh, listening to, to this. So then after him, obviously, you know, um, after him is William. And there are yeah. some issues between, isn't William the one who went to Canada? Or is it, uh, there's two two sons, right? William and... And Harry. And Harry, and one of them, I, th I thought he like denounced the royal family or something. Harry has, yeah, Harry's come over. I think he's in West Coast US, I think. Might be wrong. Okay. William is the one who uh, um, did not leave to the US. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and then um, uh, the, what is the, the, the other ones in the royal family? So, so let the, you know, the the brothers the the princes all of these things are they each one like gets something to do and focuses on that so if you're let's say you're you're harry right now you're prince harry and prince william what do they do do they have uh, also the same philanthropic uh, humanitarian things that's what they focus on and they pick and choose what they're interested in 
Yes, I think so. I, I think you either a paid royal or you you're not a paid royal, from what I understand. I know one of the things King Charles is trying to do is reduce that roster of paid royals. So a paid royal is somebody that's going around and opening centres and doing you know the speeches and the humanitarian side of things. I think, uh, from what I understand, he's trying to reduce that, and I think that's respectful of the taxpayers' money. You know, um, I think. Going forward, I think William will be very successful as a as a king. He's very popular. Him and him and Kate, they're very popular globally as well as uh, in the UK. And then they've got their own children. So the line of successions, I think, quite well established. To be honest, I think the other people it depends whether they're a paid royal or not. And I think he, what I've understood is he's he's looking at who should be a paid royal and who shouldn't, and making sure that they're busy and doing what's appropriate with. Let's be honest, the taxpayers' money, because that's that's really what it's about. So, uh, yeah, I think the Queen had quite a large royal support going on, and I think he's going to start to bring it back. That's my understanding of events. James, this has been really very helpful. I really appreciate it. Is there anything that you want to share, anything else you want to say? Um, I mean... Um to listeners, to folks as they listen to this. Although they're going to listen to this, will be a few months since the Queen has died. But um, I want to make sure that uh, if there's anything I forgot to ask you of relevance, whatever I should have asked you, please assume I asked you and just answer. <laughs> Very good. No, I think it's been you know an enjoyable conversation from my perspective. I really appreciate you putting this together. I hope it's helped listeners understand a different perspective it doesn't mean it's right it doesn't mean it's wrong it's just a different perspective uh and i'm certainly no royalist and i'm certainly no expert in it uh but i think it's been uh probably the only time in my life time in my life where a monarch's moved on and it's made you think about things so uh hopefully i've conveyed that in a in a in a way that's appropriate so i would just like to say thank you for your time and we don't want experts about this. This was really designed to get an actual citizen, just like anybody in the in the impact on this. And I've, you've done this beautifully. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Winterman, for coming on Healthcare Unfiltered. Really appreciate your time. A pleasure. I look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you. Okay, folks. Well, I appreciate you tuning in, and uh, I really, uh, hopefully, you enjoyed this podcast episode. I look forward to your feedback and letting me know what you think. And you could do that by visiting my website, www.chadinabhan.com. Direct message me on Twitter at chadinabhan or Instagram, chadi underscore healthcare unfiltered. Don't forget to visit my website at www.chadinabhan.com and ask and demand the amazing Healthcare Unfiltered podcast t-shirt. I promise you, you are going to love the t-shirt. Now, uh, I also want to make sure that uh, you let me know how I'm doing um, and you subscribe to the show, uh, uh, rate the show and write a brief review. By doing so, many of your peers, colleagues, friends can find it and hopefully they'll find topics that they enjoy listening to. Before I let you go, I'm going to leave you with a quote, with a saying from Queen Elizabeth II. She once said, Grief is the price we pay for love. 
Until next time, take care.